This is episode 255 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life. Today's articles are Five Unforeseen Problems I Encountered When I Went Off the Grid and Do You Need More Than One Bug Out Bag? Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey, I'd like to welcome everyone to episode 255. And if you are listening and you are not subscribed, I'd like to invite you to go over to iTunes, Stitcher, or any other podcast network and you can subscribe there and make sure that you never miss another podcast episode. So let's go ahead and jump right into these articles. Our first article comes to us from askaprepper.com. And again, the title is Five Unforeseen Problems I Encountered When I Went Off the Grid. You know, there is a, a dream in most preppers' minds, right? I don't know if you know if you if you haven't had this dream, you you might, you know, you might be new to preparedness. But in the back of our minds, there's always this dream of like, man, I'd love to get away from from what I'm doing. I'd love to have my own piece of property. I'd love to homestead. I'd love to, and some of you definitely that are listening to the podcast are doing that, but there is a dream in a lot of people that are that are preparing and just don't have the, the resources or don't see how they can do it. But in the back of their mind, they're like, man, if I can do that. But it's not as easy as you would think. You know, there, there are some challenges. And so this article talks a little bit about them and uh, talks a little bit about uh, how you can get around those those challenges because every challenge uh, can be solved according to this article, which I think is great to be able to have that attitude. So uh, let's go ahead and start reading this one. Good day to all. I contributed an article last year to this site and had a wonderful response from everybody. Our host, Claude, asked me a while ago if I would consider writing another article. I was definitely interested, but we were just making the big move from the wilderness of northern Saskatchewan to a brand new homestead on the Nova Scotia coast, and I've been maxed out trying to clear land and build our home. Claude came up with a great topic, five problems I encountered when I went off the grid. Problems and their solutions when going off-grid could fill a book, but I have five I can share with you. Hopefully, my experiences will help you if you have or are contemplating a more self-reliant lifestyle, especially if it is an off-the-grid choice. I also hope you can take heart in the fact that all obstacles can be overcome. These were all problems with answers. First, a little background. For those who don't know me, I'm one of the the back-to-the-land people from the late 1970s. I've been off-grid for 38 years. It's a way of life for us. I wrote a book titled Off-Grid and Free, My Path to the Wilderness, where I chronicle some of my off-grid experiences. I started out homesteading in northern Maine. It was during those years that I met my wife, Joanna. Maine was a wonderful 20-year learning experience. It gave us a great deal of confidence, enabling us to move on to the next chapter in our lives. That chapter was to live on a remote island lake in northern Saskatchewan. Imagine living so remote a float plane is required to find you. That's pretty remote. We went shopping twice a year, picked up mail twice a year, and as a general rule didn't see another human for six months at a time. And we flourished. What a privilege it was to call the wilderness home for 17 years. 
We've made the move to the Nova Scotia coastline where we are currently building our last homestead. So you might say we have a lot of experience, but we've also made our share of mistakes along the way. Here are five errors, mistakes, misjudgments I made when I initially went off-grid so many years ago. During high school, I studied electronics as my career choice, and once out of school, went right to work. After a few years to the 9-to-5 rat race, I figured there had to be something more to life than working it away. I was lamenting that fact to my work supervisor one day when he suggested homesteading. I had never heard of the term, but it sounded good, and after some research, I latched on to the idea. I was young, in my early 20s, and pretty naive. It was easy to fantasize about living in a little cabin in the woods with a small garden, a few solar panels for power, and just kick back and relax my way through life. I figured I could save my money from my job, buy a property, build my homestead, and essentially retire. That was my first mistake. It doesn't work like that, and it never will. Unless someone has left you a pile of money, there is a need for some income. There are always costs to living. One can mitigate to a large degree those costs, but some money coming in is essential. One can barter, swap labor with others, and do some creative financial rearranging, but there's always things that require cash. I quickly realized I would need some income to buy gas, pay taxes, vehicle registration, insurance, etc. The money I saved up was not near enough. I am a frugal guy and can live cheaply, but I realized I needed some way to make money. The odd job helped, but ultimately a knock at my door by a local logger interested in cutting my woodlot got me to thinking I could garner income for our self-reliant lifestyle from the land by becoming a logger. I selectively harvested our property over the years and ultimately received several county outstanding tree farm awards for the effort. So we took full advantage of our particular situation. We made money from our homestead and improved our property at the same time. I'm a workaholic and once I set my mind to something, I'm driven. I don't mind the hard work, but my second mistake was misjudging how much work was involved in building a small home. Plowing and disking a field and garden, canning and preserving the food, building a barn, tending the animals, fixing stuff that always broke, cutting and lugging firewood, pumping water by hand into buckets and carrying them into the house, and the list goes on. It was a lot of work, but I relished it. At the time, everything was new and exciting, and I fully immersed myself in my new lifestyle. Every night, I went to bed absolutely exhausted from working hard from sunup to sundown, but I went to bed so satisfied with the daily effort and life choice I had made. But the life of kicking back, throwing a few garden seed into the ground, and having a life of ease was unrealistic. Just know that work is involved in becoming as self-reliant as possible, and if you aren't prepared for the work, you might easily become disillusioned with the notion of homesteading. The third error I made was not realizing how much I needed to learn about this new lifestyle and how little I knew. I came from the suburbs of Philadelphia, had a career in electronics, yet I chose a completely foreign set of surroundings. Dirt road into my homestead, which was surrounded by forest, and all of this was in a country setting. It was a different world than what I was accustomed to. Gardening, animal husbandry, chainsaws, and firewood. Wow, this was all new and I was clueless. I bought books, studied, talked to local people more knowledgeable than I, and then I gave it a try. After I tried something new and got some confidence, I was easily able to add to the mix by trying something else that was completely foreign to me. I learned by book reading, using my common sense, 
and by trial and error. I learned from my mistakes and moved on. Common sense is vital to learning and adapting. I wasn't attempting to build and launch a rocket. I was merely trying to master some simple basic skills that were known to previous generations, but over time, as mechanization and commercialization became the norm, became lost as people no longer relied on themselves as much as they used to. An example of this is preparing and planting a garden. Most people figure, why bother when it's so easy to go to the grocery store? Another misjudgment was estimating my power needs and how to fulfill them. I was an electronics technician, quite familiar with wiring, Ohm's law, and the use of multimeters. And yet, I had no practical experience with how much power a few lights, a car radio, and tiny TV would take. Although I knew car batteries were a bad choice, money was a limiting factor in getting the right parts for my energy system. So I rigged up a half-baked power system that was next to useless, which relied on a car battery as my energy storage. It was forever in the hole and was rarely fully charged. But it was a tremendous learning experience, and I quickly learned what power my gizmos consumed and what a battery and a solar panel were capable of doing. Not until I purchased the proper components, hooked them up, and used them for a period of time at my locality did I really understand what it took to build a real power system. At my locality is important. Location is a paramount consideration in how many panels and batteries are needed to power any home on a daily basis. My dink system might have worked much better in a sunnier climate. The last miscalculation that I made, don't be misled, there are many errors and mistakes I made, was my choice of access to my homestead. I purchased a 120-acre woodlot, and as it happens, there was an old potato field of perhaps four acres right in the middle of it. Perfect, except in the winter. The driveway was four-tenths of a mile long, and the homestead was in northern Maine, which gets an average of 120 inches or 10 feet of snow a year. In those early years, there was no way I was able to drive into the homestead once the snow started flying. Years later, when I began selective logging our property and had a highway plow connected to an old skitter, was I able to plow us out. But for many years, I had to park the vehicle at the head of the driveway from November until May when I was able to drive back in. That meant dead batteries, food, animal food, and all supplies were lugged in and out by pack mule. And sadly, I was the pack mule. But it kept me in top shape, snowshoeing all that stuff back and forth to the car. I learned what the term long winter meant. So don't overlook the obvious. You might find the greatest place on earth in the summer, but come winter, access becomes a long slog. Not a big deal as long as one is aware and prepared to deal with it. Keep in mind, not only is there an inconvenience in that situation, but safety is a factor as well. If a medical emergency or house fire were to occur, occur, inaccessibility presents some real challenges to those trying to come to your aid. So there you have it, five things that I would consider errors, mistakes, and misjudgments on my part in those early years shortly after I made the big decision to change directions and seek a self-reliant way of life. Even with the mistakes and frustrations of dealing with them, I wouldn't change a thing. I learned a great deal and one of the biggest things I learned is that I can truly count on myself to get things done. I am definitely as self-reliant as is practical, and that's a good feeling. Please feel free to ask questions. I enjoy exchanging ideas and banter back and forth, so don't be shy. The whole point of this website is so we can share and learn together. 
And so there's an editor's note here. It says, please feel free to ask Ron in the comment area any particular question you have about going off the grid. And then uh, a little bit of information about him. Ron and his wife spent 17 wonderful years living 100 miles in the Canadian wilderness on a remote lake. They are now building a new homestead on the Nova Scotia coast as part of the Back to the Land movement that originated in the 70s. They have spent their adult years living in homestead dream. Ron's book, Off Grid and Free, My Path to the Wilderness, is available in print, Kindle, and audio on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. You can follow and contact Ron at his website, In the Wilderness, on his Facebook page, and on his YouTube channel. And you know, I don't think I, I follow Ron, so I might be looking to check out his YouTube page and also In the Wilderness. You know, I think probably throughout the years I have hit that before. If it's not one that has an RSS feed, that's one of the problems that I have with Prepper website when people have websites that aren't necessarily uh, or don't necessarily have RSS feeds, it's really hard for me to follow uh, follow them because I can't visit every site. But there's 64 comments here, people asking questions and uh, Ron coming in and answering them. So really, really great uh, deal there. So if you have any homesteading questions, this is the place to go. So like always, I link to the articles in the in the show notes, and so you can come over to askaprepper.com. And, uh, you know, read read the article. There's some cool pictures here, old pictures uh, of Ron, of his uh, homestead. I believe that's in Maine. And then, uh, you know, his little garden plot there that looks like it's really full and thriving. And then uh, his truck in the snow. Uh, man, that would just that would just kill me there having to do that. But, uh, you know, you deal with it. And a lot of lessons learned. So, uh, you know, a lot of the times, like I talked about earlier when we started, we have that homesteading dream, you know, in the back of our minds, but there's always those little, those, uh, you know, those. It's a learning curve, and uh, you just got to be prepared for that learning curve when you're when you're going into it. And uh, those people that are not, they usually give up and go back to you know the way of life that they that they were used to living. And those that you know know that it's going to be hard work and are willing to to go for it, but realizing that they have more freedom in uh, who they want to be, you know, they usually thrive at that. So again, that's over at askaprepper.com. Our next article comes to us from survivalsullivan.com. And the title of the article is, Do You Need More Than One Bug Out Bag? So what I want to do is I want to read this article. I'm going to let you kind of listen to it. And then I'm going to come uh, and listen to it and formulate maybe some of your thoughts and opinions. And then I'm going to come back at at the end of this article and just give a few thoughts about it. So uh, here we go again. uh, Do you need more than one bug out bag? This question has plagued avid preppers since bug out bags began their popularity and for a good reason. Should you pack more weight into one bob? Should you have multiple bobs for different scenarios? Should you skimp on some important items in order to lower your weight for one bug out bag? The only way to answer it is to ask yourself how prepared should you be? If you're like me, you'll want to be prepared for any SHTF scenario. Bug out bags are meant to sustain you for between three and seven days and preppers know this. What some fail to take into consideration, however, is what items they'll need for different situations. How are 50 spare shotgun shells or any other type of ammunition in your bug out bag going to help you when all you need is to get away from a major natural disaster? You definitely should have more than one bug out bag. In this article, I'll explain why. Not every SHTF situation is the same. Therefore, there is no single packing list that can prepare you for every disaster without having to carry 60 pounds or more, since nobody wants to have to carry that much weight, especially for long distances. 
multiple bug out bags may be the simple answer to a complex question. So violent SHTF scenarios. This category of SHTF situations include post-collapse panic, mass terrorism, or any other violent situation that could happen. Obviously, this is the worst case scenario for preppers, so your bug out bag will be substantially larger. If this type of situation should ever present itself, you may need to bug out for long periods of time. Due to this, your bug out bag needs to be focused on various survival items geared towards this. If a violent SHTF scenario should happen, you'll want your bug out bag to primarily be self-defense based. This is so you can defend yourself and whoever else may be in your bug out group from the mass panic that will almost surely ensue. On top of the self-defense aspect of this bob, you'll also need isolation survival equipment. This is because you'll want to avoid the general population as much as possible to avoid unnecessary danger. Isolation survival can be brutal, so make sure you don't skimp on any crucial survival tools or equipment. I would much rather be prepared for any wilderness survival scenario than have to constantly improvise because I neglected to pack certain items. If you were to pack this list into a bug out bag with various items for other SHTF scenarios, you would be left with one hefty bag, which would be grueling to carry for long distances. So natural disaster SHTF scenarios. This category of SHTF situations include mass storms, flooding, or any other type of natural disaster that would make you to evacuate your home. This specific bag should have items necessary to sustain yourself or your family in the wilderness or another isolated area until help can come. These items include a tent, sleeping bag, food, and various gear. If the disaster is bad enough, you may not have the luxury of a vehicle, so you need to be prepared to walk on foot if necessary. Due to the nature of the disaster, you may not need to gear this bag towards self-defense primarily. While you should never skimp on self-defense items, you won't necessarily need as many geared towards it like you would with a violent SHTF scenario. Most of the time, people won't be in such a kill-or-be-killed mindset if their home was just destroyed by a massive storm system. You can't eat bullets, so you should definitely gear this bag towards resources since they may be limited. Local SHTF Scenarios this type of SHTF scenario is commonly overlooked by preppers. Many have bug out bags for situations like collapse or major disasters that affect large areas. What if your house burns down or another disaster destroys your home? More than likely, you won't need to sleep in the wilderness during this time since you will commonly have access to a vehicle or a means to escape. However, you still need various items to get back on track. Having a bug out bag in your vehicle is an incredibly smart way to make sure you have more supplies in case SHTF. If you're an avid prepper and you don't have some type of SHTF bag in your vehicle, you really need to reevaluate your prepping choices. Vehicular bug out bags are a great way to make sure you don't have to carry heavier weight for longer distances. Granted, if you do take your vehicle on a bug out expedition, you're not going to be carrying any bug out bag while you're in the vehicle because you'll be driving. However, if you have a vehicle at your disposal while you bug out, you will definitely want to have more supplies than you can have at your disposal when you bug out. Another big reason why you'll want to have a bug out bag in your vehicle is if you have to bug out immediately while you're driving. SHTF scenarios can happen at any time in any place. Who knows, you could very well be driving home from work when it happens and you don't have time to return home to grab your main bug out bag. This is especially true if you reside in the inner city during a violent revolt or even a riot. So family considerations. 
Type of disasters aren't the only considerations that you need to take into effect when it comes to bug out bags. It's also the number of people you'll have bugging out with you. While everyone's family is different, you need to really ask yourself who can carry what. If you have a new family with one or two newborn children and a wife, looks like you're going to have to carry the majority of the weight. If you're lucky, you'll have a few people in your bug out group that can carry their own fair share of weight. If this is the case, you'll want to have at least one community bag that will have the basic necessities for survival and not much else. This bag will generally be carried by the person who can move the most weight as it will be the heaviest. Other people will have bug out bags that suit their individual strengths. An example of this is if you have a group with with people who are great at different aspects of survival. If you have a person in your group who is more medically inclined, they'll have the doc bag. This bag will include the majority of trauma-geared items as well as medication and various other items that could become useful medically. While this bag may have a lot of medical items, every person should have their own small medical kit in their own bag in case the group becomes split. Another bag you might want to consider is one geared towards cooking. While you may not do a whole lot of cooking in your initial bug-out expedition, your bug-out location might make you need to find your own food. Since nobody wants to eat disgusting food for long periods of time, think about possibly having one person in your group carry cookware, fire material, spices, etc. This method should only be used if you have a family with the numbers that allow you to do so, if you have a bug-out group with the numbers to support the method. This is easily the most effective method as it distributes items equally and plays to the specific strengths of every individual person. Individuality is extremely important when it comes to stressful situations as it causes the persons to have their own sense of self-worth. In my article on how to combat stress, I discuss different techniques to help battle stress that you may feel when SHTF, and I will add this on to it. Lone Wolf Prepping While this may not specifically mean that you're the only person who will be bugging out, it may mean that you're the only one capable of carrying weight in your bug-out bag. Even so, you'll want at least two bug-out bags. I would keep them fairly similar in this instance because you always want a backup of anything you have. Remember, two is one, one is none. If you're lucky, your wife or husband may be able to carry the spare bug out bag as well. Never limit yourself to only one bug out bag, otherwise you risk not having one at all. The reason I say this is that the world is full of thieves. Odds are you probably had company over at some point, more than likely people you trust. Due to the fact that you're probably prideful of the fact that you're an accomplished prepper or the fact that you're just starting out, you probably showboated your bug out equipment, including your bug out bag. When people become desperate for supplies, even your closest friends may turn against you. Stress and panic will cause people to do unspeakable things. Stealing from a friend is the least worrisome of the things that people are willing to do for survival. Always have a backup bug out bag on standby in case your other one gets stolen. Another aspect of lone wolf prepping is if you have a bug out location. If this is the case, you'll want to have another bug out bag inside of that location if it's secure. This is so you have more supplies that you can replenish on in case you're lost or broke other supplies on your way to your location. More than likely, you will use or lose a good bit of supplies from your initial bug out bag during your expedition. Due to this, you'll want another bag that you can have as a fail safe when you arrive safely. Also, you never know if your initial bug out bag will get damaged along the way. If you didn't read the article, The Best Survival Backpack by Survival Sullivan's founder himself, odds are you may be risking having a cheaply made backpack because you wanted to save money. 
While there are many backpacks of decent quality that may not be listed in this article, the ones that are listed are definitely of high quality. If your initial bug out bag is damaged during your expedition to your bug out location, you'll want another bag that you can use if you need to leave the location in a hurry. You never want to be caught with your pants down in an emergency situation. Isn't that why we're preppers in the first place? Don't skimp yourself. Be prepared. I could literally go on for hours as to why you should have multiple bug out bags, but I think you get the point. If you find yourself wondering, think of a few what ifs in your heads. Odds are you'll more than likely convince yourself to prepare more than one bug out bag. Remember, different SHTF situations may call for different types of bug out bags as well as what's inside of them. Due to this, it's best to have at least two bags to choose from for violent and non-violent SHTF scenarios. Play to your group's strengths, as this will greatly increase your group's chances of survival. Teamwork is crucial to surviving a major disaster, and your team's bug-out bags are no different. While each bug-out bag should have the basic necessities for survival, each person should also have supplemental items that they are efficient with that can benefit the group as a whole. Never put all your eggs into one basket, however, as this could cause a major disastrous situation should one bag get lost. Having at least one bug out bag in your vehicle is an excellent supplemental method that can really help you should SHTF if you can get to your vehicle in time and are able to drive it. While I wouldn't put the most expensive or crucial survival items in your vehicle in case it's damaged, I would store the heavier items in it as well as supplemental food. In short, multiple bug out bags are highly recommended by me and by Survival Sullivan. In my line of work, I've learned that it's best to be prepared for any situation and not to be caught blindsided. If there are any other reasons that you could see being crucial for having multiple bug out bags, please leave a comment below. Stay safe, Reaper. All right, so um, you you might already know how I'm going to kind of lean on this one. I don't agree with this with this article. I mean, there's some things here that I do agree with, but there are some things that I, that I really don't agree with. And, uh, of course this is going to be completely my opinion. Okay. So I really want to just kind of go back and revisit the purpose of uh, a bug out bag. So uh, the purpose of a bug out bag is to get you to your bug out location. So if you're bugging out, you are going to a lo- So you have there, there is a place that you are already that you already know that you're going to, right? Um, this article kind of makes it seem like your bug out bag. It's really it's more like a, a camp out bag, right? So you're you're leaving your home that you know for whatever reason, and you're camping out. And, and you know, the idea is that you're going out and you're away from home for a certain amount of time. And so I just don't agree. I mean, that might be if, you know, especially in this, uh, the scenario as, you know, SHTF scenario, and I'm assuming, uh, you know, that's like, uh, you know, the big one, right? You know, uh, people are killing each other and all, you know, it's a serious collapse. Um, you know, there, there is a term for the bag that you would have in that case, and that would be an inch bag or I'm never coming home bag, right? And so you, you know that you're grabbing that bag and there's no chance that you're ever coming back to, to your home. But this, this article kind of made it seem like you bug out for a while until things are safe and then you come back to your, to your home. And I just, I just don't agree with that. So I'm always of the mind that you're going to bug out and you know where you're bugging out. So you know that you're going to, 
uh, you know, a family member's house, you know that you're going to a retreat area, you're going to a bug out location, you you might even have it, you know, set that you're going to, you know, bug out to a state park uh, in until you figure out your next step. If, if, if that's the case, right, that might be like your plan C or D or something like that. But the idea is that you're bugging out to a certain location. And I really didn't get that from this article. The second thing is this. I am a big proponent of bugging in. The only time that you bug out is like if it is if it's desperate, right? Um, and so that's when when you bug in, you bug in because you have uh, well, you, because you don't have a bug out location, because you don't have somewhere to go, because your house has all the items that you need, and you can only put a certain amount of things in a in a backpack that you're uh, you know no matter how big it is, uh, no matter where you're going, and so you know it's like okay, so I have everything at my house, and although it might be destroyed or whatever it might be. I can still go through the rubble and I can still get to some of my stuff as opposed to I'm leaving my 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 home and I'm just taking two or three or, or four days worth of stuff with me. And so, uh, you know, I'm always a big proponent of bugging in unless you absolutely can't and then you bug out, right? So coming back to the scenarios here, the violent SHTF scenarios, I, I just don't know like if it, there's riots and stuff like that. I mean, that's going to depend on where you're at. So a, a riot might go for a couple of days. Um, why couldn't you bug in uh, for a couple of days and just like not go outside? I mean, that's why we prepare. We have food and things like that so that we don't have to leave our house. And so if that was the case, you know, you, you would be okay there. Um, in a natural disaster, I don't understand why I would be bugging out uh, if, if you know, the there was an earthquake or, or whatever it might be, you know, like Hurricane Harvey, I've talked about that before. People did have to bug out because their homes were completely flooded and there's no way they could live there. So they had to bug out there. But if it was a natural disaster that, uh, you know, some other kind of natural disaster, you know, hurricanes and things like that, uh, I, I would not want to bug out. You know, I, I would be staying in my in my home. In fact, every time we've had hurricanes down here in Houston, uh, we've never left. I mean, we've always we've always stayed and uh, just kind of weathered it here. And, and really, they weren't. Uh, we're so far inland that uh, we just would get a lot of wind and uh, sometimes tree branches and and things like that. I mean, sometimes the big trees falling down, but definitely you know not uh, not the big big hurricane stuff destru- destruction that you would see on the coast. So you know, there's a, a couple of things here, and then the vehicle. Uh, definitely, I agree that you should have items in your vehicle. Uh, you know, if you have a truck and you can put things underneath the the truck bed, I think that's that's smart. If uh, you really want to hide, if you do keep any kind of like a, a get home bag, a bug out bag, anything, uh, you if you have a, a trunk, you want to keep it there. You do not want to leave it in the back seat because people break in and uh, and try to get you know try to steal things. Uh, even even when they don't think there's anything really like you know, uh, my son left his backpack in his car and there was nothing in it but you know his folders and papers and stuff. But you know, some a thief might think that there's a, a laptop or something in there. So definitely you wanna you wanna hide it. Um, if you can, you know, uh, have a instead of a bug out bag, you can have a, like a bug out tote, right? A BOT. <laughs> if you can have one of those, you know, you can hold a lot of stuff in in, in one of those things, and you can lock it down, and, and and that would really work. Okay, so let's go to the to the idea of having multiple bug out bags. Because in this article, he talked about having you know two for different scenarios, and then even uh, you have one in your vehicle, so that's three. 
then you have one at your bug out location that's four and then you have uh, a backup in case you know something happens so it's like five bug out bags and uh, i don't i don't know <laughs> you know when you're talking about buying quality gear and then you talk about two is one one is none you're talking about buying a whole whole lot of gear so i am a bigger proponent of this having one bug out bag but having it compartmentalized so let's just say uh you know you have let, let's st- stick with the scenarios here like a violent shtf scenario or a natural disaster scenario but you have it compartmentalized as to you know to what you need and you're able to get to that stuff very quickly because there's going to be some things that are very uh that are very similar across the board right and really the only things that i you know that he really talked about that were different in the violent uh shtf scenario was you know more of a defensive situation you know those kinds of things and so I'm more of a proponent of compartmentalization when it comes to those kinds of things. You have your fire kit. You're able to, you know, to take that out. You know, all your fire kit stuff is in that one little pouch, one little bag, one little compartment. If you, uh, if you need to get anything, everything is there. You don't have, you don't have your fire equipment all piecemealed all over the place. Your cooking set is all in one set, right? Even maybe your your stove. And I've done an, a recent article where I had a you know the little uh, updraft wood gas stove and and the cooking set that all uh, were you know would would fall into one. And so you you have that. You have your water, and maybe that maybe that's a little bit more broken up. But you can have a kit on that as well if you're carrying filters and and maybe you're uh, carrying some uh, some uh, purification tablets and and different things like that. You know, then you have your clothes, right? And you have those types of things, and maybe you you compartmentalize that as well. Maybe you compartmentalize that to the point where you have like this is like cold weather clothes and this is warm weather clothes that I can switch it out, or maybe you're going to keep both of those in there uh, just in case, you know, and and you can do it that way. You compartmentalize hygiene items, you know, you have all those types of things. You compartmentalize your first aid, and and that's all in one little, uh, you know, set you know that it's very easy to get to and uh you know you have it that way uh, i'm not a big fan of like okay so one person carries all the medical supplies um you know i understand that you know i have one of the big bags from dr bones and nurse amy and it's basic it's a bug out bag in itself and uh you know i just i don't really know how i would manage that um you know actually it would probably have to be broken up because uh it's just it's just too big too much stuff but um you remember not too long ago we read that article about um actually all those different uh, survival scenarios right and uh you know one of the guys that fell into a, a crevice had all the all the the food all the expedition the guy that was uh you know in the antarctica or whatever and the and the so the guy who was carrying all the food and in his uh, bobsled team or whatever it was, uh, they fell into the crevice and they lost all their food. And so, you know, you, you can very easily get separated from people or things can happen. You never know. And you don't ever want to be separated from. So like if I was carrying that big old first aid kit and I got separated from everybody, okay, I have first aid material, but I don't have any food. I don't have my clothes. I don't have any way to make fire. I don't have any, you know, you know all those kinds of things. So not a big fan of, of breaking it up like that. Um, just because of you know those kinds of uh, uh, stories that you hear about something happening to someone and then you know they had you know all all the equipment or they had all the food and then you know that hurts the whole rest of the group 
And so anyway, those are just my two cents. That's my opinion. Of course, uh, I'm sure people have other opinions as well. Um, you know, if you have all the money in the world and uh, you can just blow it on all the gear and stuff, and then yeah, you can have all kinds of gear, I mean, all kinds of bug out bags, right? And so you can, they can be all very similar and you can buy all the same types of equipment and you can have spares for people and all that kind of stuff. And they just be, you know, listed. Hey, this is my, this bug out bag. And this is for this bug out bag scenario. And this is for that bug out bag scenario. And, and you're able to just grab and go whenever, uh, you know, if, if anything was ever happened. Bug out bags are the real sexy thing of, of preparedness. And that's one thing that everybody, uh, you know, w- when I've been on uh, like Facebook groups and, and things like that with new preppers, that's one of the first things they want to do. And uh, that's just for me, that's not the first thing I, I do believe you should have, uh, you know, things prepared and ready to go. But it, that's not the first thing. But when you do it, I think you need to think about it and you need to have a plan. If you don't have a plan to where you're going to bug out, then you know you don't need to bug out. You need to make sure that you have a plan and you're going somewhere and you have it you have it ready to go. So I don't know if you are you know tell me what you think if if you have an opinion uh, you know on uh, hey Todd yeah we should have multiple types of bug out bags or uh, no I, I kind of like that compartmentalized uh, idea more. You know, come over to the Facebook group and, and drop me a line there or, you know, come over to uh, episode 255 and drop me a line uh, in the comment section and let me know what you think. Or or maybe you have a whole different idea, a whole different take on it, on, on what you would do. Uh, I'd love to hear from you on that uh, and uh, and what you would do. And, and then, uh, you know, if you do that, I'll share it with uh, with, the in, you know, in, in a future podcast episode. Uh, just with everybody, uh, just to share that out and get that information out there, because really, we're uh, you know what I'm trying to do and what I believe in is just uh, building a community where people are learning and they're growing, and you really got to figure things out for yourself and what works best for you, what ber- what works best for the person maybe writing this article, uh, Reaper, or you know someone else is not going to work for you. Uh, you you got to know what is going to be best. For you, and that's why it's very important to plan. I mean, that's got to be the first thing that we do when we get into preparedness. And you might be new to preparedness. You might have found this podcast, uh, you know, just bouncing around uh, iTunes. Maybe you heard, uh, you know, about it from somewhere else, and uh, and you're here, and it's brand new for you. And uh, I'm just going to tell you, uh, the world is crazy, and being prepared is a very common sense uh, approach to living life, but. You do need to have a plan and you do need to start off uh, correctly on all of that. So uh, that again, that's over at Survival Sullivan. Do you need more than one bug out bag? And so again, guys, I'd love to hear your opinion on that on episode 255. I've mentioned before about the, uh, the Weekly Watchmen. I have released that. And so if you are interested in current events and prophecy coming from a bi- biblical perspective and a lot of the times news that you don't hear from um, the mainstream media, then uh, well, I would encourage you to go go listen to those. And uh, you know, there's a lot of videos. I post a lot of videos, and so you can just take your time going through those. But a lot of great information there. You know, when I say stay prepped and aware, one of th- one of those things for me is 
spiritual preparedness. And so I want to stay aware of what's going on, uh, you know, not only, you know, in the in in the real world, but also what's going on in uh, in the spiritual world as well. And knowing, you know, what is happening and how it uh, pertains to Bible prophecy and just uh, having more information. I think that's just that's just important. So uh, again, I'm going to link to that in the show notes. If you've never gone over to Ed That Matters, uh, the Weekly Watchman, I think it's very, uh, you know, it's a lot of great information. So I'm going to link to it. Uh, and uh, if you're interested, love to get your thoughts on that as well. All right, guys, with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until tomorrow, stay prepped and aware. Peace.